Hello and welcome to our Wednesday night Bible study. Glad to have you all with us. We are in 2 Kings, the fifth chapter. And we've been reading the story of Naaman, the great warrior from the competing land of Aram, who came to be healed by Elisha the prophet and uh, had a great time last week talking about uh, this incredible miracle and some of the implications of it. Uh, but anyway, so Naaman goes, comes to Elisha. Elisha says, dip yourself seven times in the Jordan River. You'll be healed. He goes, he does it. He gets healed. He's blown away. He wants to give some kind of financial gift back to Elisha. And Elisha flatly refuses. And Naaman heads home. Well, um, uh, Elisha's manservant, Gehazi, uh, we pick it up in a verse 19. Elisha tells to uh, to Naaman to go in peace, or yeah, to Naaman to go in peace. And he says, after Naaman traveled some distance, Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said to himself, "My master was too easy on him. This guy wanted to give us money. I need to go get some of this money. I mean, he was really pulled in by the uh, potential wealth, uh, financial blessings that uh, Naaman wanted to give him. We don't know why uh, Elisha didn't take the money. I suppose." You know, so he, they couldn't say, you know, that he had bought favor from God or that somehow he got financial blessings as a result of that. But uh, we don't know. But all we know is that he turned it down. So anyway, Gehazi goes running after the guy. So we see in 20, verse 21, Gehazi hurries after Naaman. When Naaman saw him running toward him, he got down from his chariot to meet him. He says, is everything all right? And Gehazi says, oh, yeah, everything's cool. He says, but my master sent me to say, uh, two young men from the company of the prophets have just come to me from the hill country of Ephraim. Uh, please give them a talent of silver and two sets of clothing. So he basically lies. He comes and he says, well, Elisha said, look, you know, I didn't want anything, but there's these two young guys who could really use some financial help. So, um, you know, if you want to give them some money, it would be okay. Well, Naaman said, well, by all means, take two talents. So he gives them the silver, gives them the clothes, and he urged Gehazi to accept them, and he tied up the two talents of silver in two bags with two sets of clothing, and he gave them to uh, two of his servants, and they carried them ahead of Gehazi. When Gehazi came to the hill, he took the things from the servants and put them away in the house, and he sent the men away, and they left. And then he went in and stood before his master Elijah. Well, <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, I don't know what Gehazi was thinking, because these prophets seem to know everything that's going on because God is constantly telling them what's going on. So uh, he walks in the house, thinks he's cool. He got away with this. And um, Elijah looks at him and says, Hey, where have you been, Gehazi? And Gehazi says, uh, I didn't go anywhere. And of course, Elijah is ticked off. And he says, Was not my spirit with you when the man got down from his chariot to meet you? I mean, he's basically prophesying here, the Lord, you know, look, I'm everywhere. I, was, I, saw, I saw the guy get off his chariot. I saw him go down to you. I saw the whole thing go down. Is this the time to take money, Gehazi, or to accept clothes, olive groves, vineyards, flocks, herds, or men servants and maidservants? Naaman, and then, then, then he gives the punishment to Gehazi. Remember, Naaman had come to get healed of leprosy was dramatically healed. Well, now he says, Naaman's leprosy will cling to you. 
and to your descendants forever. forever. And then Gehazi went from Eliza's presence and he was leprous as white as snow. So he walks away with a very horrid disease that um, Naaman had been healed of. Uh, we were talking a little bit last week about the dangers of, of money. Now, money in and of itself is not evil. The Bible does not say that money is evil. It says the love of money is evil. And actually, it's kind of interesting stuff. This is in First uh, Timothy, the sixth chapter. I'll give you a second to find that back on the screen there. But First uh, uh, Timothy, the sixth chapter, we'll start at verse 25. Paul's writing to Timothy about these guys who they just don't get it and they're, they become corrupt and they're, they're all messed up in their thinking. Talking about people uh, that have constant friction between men of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and, and this is the key part, these people, these people of faith, these people who claim to be men of God, they are those who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. They think that service in the kingdom of God, uh, service in church, services as people of faith, that uh, this is a way to make money. It's not about ministry to them. It's about money to them. And you can see these guys, uh, the way they operate. They treat uh, churches as their own personal bank accounts, their ministries. Um, they, they load themselves up with great wealth. Um, you know, I won't mention any names in particular because it's not, and you shouldn't either. It's not ours to judge or call uh, when you don't know all the facts. But, you know, when you see this kind of thing, you need to be careful about being around such people. And you can usually tell these guys because all they ever talk about is money. I mean, I mean, it doesn't take long. They'll talk about other things, but you can't hardly have a conversation about the weather before they start talking about money. They are obsessed by it. They are motivated by it. They are driven by it. And they really look at service in the kingdom of God as a way to become wealthy and, uh, uh, and teach others even that godliness is a means to financial gain. Now, you've got to be a little careful here. I mean, there is a thing, and there are truths in the scriptures that encourage people to walk in faith, to give, and it will be given to you, and about being prosperous and God blessing. That's all legit. I think some people cross a line sometimes in those teachings or they really teach that if you really have faith you will just have great wealth you know and if you don't have great wealth it's a sign that you don't have faith that you're not walking in faith because that godliness to them is a means to financial gain this is how we get uh, money but that's not what godliness is about and Paul or goes on to write he says godliness with contentment is great gain being like God and being content with what you have that is great gain not gee i am going to serve god and i'm looking at what I, and it's not enough and i need to get more and i'm going to find ways to get more and i can use the church to get more and i'm going to do whatever they're thinking uh maybe i'll even use the, my faith to try and get more 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 and it's driven more by greed uh, that is not god a uh, great gain what great gain is being walking with god and being content in your circumstances. Now, this is kind of an interesting challenge here. Because on the one hand, um, if you just have a poverty mentality, that I'm poor, my mom was poor, my grandpa was poor, my great-great-grandpa was poor, 
Um, therefore, I will always be for That's a poverty mentality uh, that people tend to walk in. They just assume they'll, they've never had nothing. They, they, they know they've never had nothing, and they assume they'll never have anything, no matter what they do. They're not driven to uh, improve themselves, study, work hard, or anything, because, well, I'm just, I come from a line of poverty. I'm just going to be poor like all the poor people before me. Uh, that is a poverty mentality. That's not contentment. That kind of poverty mentality, as people of faith, we need to break free from. We need people uh, not walking around just accepting poverty, but people who will walk around accepting blessings from God and learning how to be blessed by God and, and succeeding and doing the right things and getting wisdom. The Bible talks about in wisdom's hand, the very hand of wisdom itself, you'll find great riches. So uh, again, fine lines here of trying to, to, to uh, figure this out. But once you cross the line into greed then you've gone over the line. So uh, being content with what you have, you can be content, even if you're very poor, you can be content with what you have without necessarily having a poverty mentality thinking I'll never get anywhere in life. Again, I don't want to get into a whole teaching just about money, but it's kind of a tricky thing here. You don't want to just assume you're going to be poor and miserable and woe is me. It used to be old hymns that they used to sing in the church, you know, uh, uh, that basically said, you know, just hang on to life. We'll barely get through it, and then we'll, we'll get it on the other side, which in a way is a good thing, but it was kind of a poverty mentality. Old-time Pentecostalism, old-time evangelicals that were always on the wrong side of the tracks were very poor people and who always thought in terms of being poor, and I'll never be anything but poor, but, you know, farther along we'll know more about it. They're old songs, you know. We'll understand it all by and by. You know, they're waiting to get to the other side, man. I just need to get to the other side. Just hang on and get to the other side. Now, again, some good things in that, but not if you're just walking around in a poverty mentality that we're just going to be miserable and never have anything. I don't think that's what God wants from people. I think God wants to bless people so that they can have, as Paul said, really more than enough. But there's a difference between being content and having more than you need and being discontent, that i got to have more. Give me, 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 give me. And people who start thinking about it, i got to have more, 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 more. These are the ones who fall into this trap thinking that godliness is a way to get more money. And uh, these are the people that Paul warns us about. He says, look, be content with what you've got. Even as God blesses you, continue to be content. Because here's the crazy thing about it. If you don't learn the contentment part of it, you can have great wealth and still not be happy. I know there's people who have great amounts of money and they're still not content you know people who think man you know they make only 30,000 a year and think man if I just get 60,000 a year I'll be happy and they get 60,000 a year and say oh man if I just made 90,000 I'd be happy and they make 90,000 man if I just had 130,000 I'd be happy and they make 130,000 man I need to get at least 250,000 before I can be happy it never ends with these people they're constantly consumed constantly unhappy constantly you know I think that you can be content at 30 and watch God continue to bless you but still be content and not be consuming everything that God blesses you with so they can be more in a stronger position to give, 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 and, and, uh, and God can use you. So anyway, he says, look, godliness and contentment was great, great gain because we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction for the love of money. A lot of people quote it is that money is the root of all evil. That's not what it says. It says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves 
with many griefs. Be careful that you don't have this passion and love for money. Okay, I hope I didn't confuse everybody here, but I mean, you know, I hope you see the difference between expecting God to bless you so you're not just this poverty where you never have anything mentality. Okay, that God will bless you, but that's different than <laughs> I gotta have, I gotta have, I gotta have, and worn out for leaders who think godliness is, is, is the way they're going to make money and that they're just driven by money all the time. So, man, watch out for those cats and stay away from them because these are men who are driven uh, solely by money. You know, they preach the gospel, but in the back of their mind, they're looking at you as a dollar sign. The more people they can get in the church, the more money they're going to make. The more money the church gets, the more they can line their pockets. You know, everything about the kingdom of God to them is a way to line their pockets. Those kinds of people you want to avoid like the plague. The other thing, too, you want to watch for, and I think people kind of misunderstand me on this one, too, is don't be so consumed by the love of money. And I think some people who, again, I get myself in trouble with people, but I just hear what I'm trying to say. Don't be so, you can tell, I, I get concerned about people who, they, they say what they want is for financial accountability, and I'm all for that. I'm not opposed to that in any way, shape, or form. But don't be so crazy about it that in a way you're reflecting great love of money. Because look, the reality is, let me give you an analogy, I don't know. Uh, Joe Smith goes to Washington tomorrow. Do you care? You don't care. You don't know Joe Smith. You might even, maybe you met him once, whatever. But there's no passion. Now, if Joe Smith is your husband and he's going to Washington tomorrow, you might have a different take on that. Why? You love this guy. He's part of your life, you know. Now you get really concerned everything that Joe does, you know. Now, again, I think we need to be good stewards of what God gives us. But don't be consumed by, I get concerned about people who just, well, I got to know where every dime is going kind of thinking. There's a difference between that and good financial accountability, Okay. But when you start really getting obsessed by that, I'm just telling you, if you say you don't love it, you don't love it. But I'm just saying, be careful that you're not responding to a love of money because you don't get really protective about things, quite frankly, you don't love. As I'm just telling it like it is. You know, I have given lots and lots of money over the last 40 years as a Christian. Okay? Uh, maybe not lots compared to some of you who maybe have great wealth. I don't know. Maybe really lots compared to others of you. It doesn't really matter. But I got to be honest. I don't know that I have ever given money and then been really concerned about how that money is used. You say, well, maybe that's just me. Maybe I'm just too lackadaisical about stuff. Okay. Again, I'm not slamming financial accountability i'm not and if you think we come talk to us we'll try to be as accountable as we can to you and be as open as a, it's not like people are taking money around here and going to vegas for crying out loud it's you know we'll be as open and transparent as we can we let everybody knows what comes in the offerings we have uh you can come and look at our audited financial statements every year if you want a copy of it just go ask for it you need to be a member of the church but we're not just going to give it to anybody but if you're a member of the church you can say i want to see it that's fine if you think something's out of control or you know, the pastor's, you know, really lining his pockets in really outrageous ways. I think that's fair for you to bring up those kinds of things. 
But I got to tell you, even churches where, you know, I knew the pastors were getting paid a lot of money, I, I, you know, I could either get comfortable with that or uncomfortable with that. I've just never been obsessed with what are you doing with my money? Why? Because I've never loved my money. And I, I'm telling you, just be careful, okay? Just be careful about the money thing. Because you don't get upset about things you don't care about. You don't. Nobody does. You only get upset about things you really care about. And if you get really, really upset about money, and maybe this should have been done, instead of buying this kind of toilet paper, we should have this better kind of toilet paper, because that's expensive toilet paper. And this kind of toilet paper, sure, it feels like sandpaper, but your butt will heal. And, and we need to save money. We need to be good. Whoa, chill out a little bit. You're that panicky about how every little dime is spent? You look at something and you see the flowers, and thank God the flowers are gone, but if you see, oh, there's too many flowers. How much money did I spend for those flowers? I want to know how much. Dude, you can cover that as much as you want with, I'm just being fiscally responsible. I'm just for financial responsibility. All you want, I'm telling you, all I hear is this is a man, this is a woman who has a little bit too much love for that money. Again, because you don't care about things. You don't get concerned about things you don't love. You care about things that you love and love. And why did you get that group of flowers? We could have gotten paper flowers. That wouldn't have been as much money. And, you know, ah! chill out. You know, Jim Baker. Y'all remember Jim Baker who had a huge ministry at one time and got in trouble for having an affair, sex with some lady, and, uh, and for financial mismanagement. And I know Christians to this day who ask me, why, do you, why are you a friend of Jim Baker? Why do you have anything to do with Jim Baker? You know, because of what he did. And I said, look, everybody might sin, and you've got to forgive him for his sexual sin. And they say to me, I don't care about the sex. It's the money. And when I hear that, I just am just appalled. I think, are you kidding me? You don't care that God was offended by his sexual sin? You're more concerned about the God of money? We can offend God. Who cares? But not mammon, not the God of money. Oh, I love my money, 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 money. I love money. How dare you offend the God of money? Man, oh, man. Again, I am not in any way, shape, form advocating for financial irresponsibility. And if you think I'm getting paid too much by this church, you think I'm lining my pockets in any way, shape, or form, bring it on. Come talk to me. I'll show you exactly how much I get paid. All right? I don't have a problem with that. We can be open. We can be honest. We can have accountability. But be careful that you don't go getting crazy, freaking out about money. And when you hear people talking, I challenge them. Say, dude, Relax. Well, I'm just trying to be a good student. Whoa, 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 whoa. Just relax. If there's something, we'll go check it out, but don't be getting all in a lather and freaking out about money. Don't be so in love with money. Here, Gehazi was working for a servant of God. He's being blessed by the servant of God. Who knows? Elisha was a servant of Elijah. Who knows? But Gehazi couldn't have been the next great prophet. But he kissed it all off. Because of, of money. And I love money. My, my, my precious, my precious, I love my precious. Man, if there's anything, people, guard your hearts against the love of money. 
Paul warned about it. Jesus warned about it. It's warned about over and over and over again in the Bible. And I'm going to warn you about it. Ease up on the love of money. Do you need money? Yes, we all need money. Do you want money? Sure, I like money. If you got an extra couple of million, I'd love it if you gave it to the church. It would be fabulous. All right, it'd be great. But I'm not obsessed by money. I don't love money. When I give my money, I give it. I'm not constantly looking over the shoulder of whoever I gave it to, making sure how they take care of that money. I'm telling you, it's like some people give their kid up for adoption. You know, if you, if you give me a used lawnmower, you're probably not going to be checking on how I'm treating that lawnmower. Why? Because you don't love the lawnmower. You give me your firstborn kid, well, now you might be calling, and can I come visit it and see how he's doing, and can I make sure you're taking care of it? Why? Because you love the kid. Sadly, what I just described is how a lot of people, they call being financially accountable. They want to find out every penny where their money's going. Hey, dude, hello, this isn't a child you gave up. Either you gave it or you didn't give it. Don't get crazy about it. Just stay calm. Well, I can just hear some people who are hearing this now. Say, hey, he says we can't check about. You can check about any dime that comes through this place. Let me stress that. It's all open. Come talk to us. Just don't be in love with the money because it is a root of all kinds of evil that the Bible says has caused many people to fall away from their faith. I believe I have made my point. Let us move on. Chapter 6 now. Kind of an interesting miracle here. I don't really know the point of it. <laughs> but let's read it nonetheless and see what happens here. Now, we're continuing seeing miracles that Elisha did. And as, as you can see, he did quite, quite a lot of them here. Uh, the company of the prophets, these are these guys who all hang out together, said to Elijah, look, the place where we all meet uh, with you is too small. Let's build a bigger place. Okay, we need a bigger place. Okay, we're cutting together. There's no room here. You know, da 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 da. So let us go to the Jordan, where each of us can get a pole, and let's build a place for us uh, to live. So I'm gonna go down and get a pole. You get a pole. I get a pole, honey. You get a pole. Anyway, so he said, "Well, go. Let's do it." Then one of them said, uh, "Won't you please come with your servants?" And Elisha, sure, I'll come along. So he went with them, and they went to the Jordan. They began to cut down trees. Now, as one of them was cutting, the iron axe head fell into the water. So the guy's going, you know, bang, bang. And at some point, he probably goes back, and the axe head goes, ah! Splash, kerplunk, falls into, I presume, the river. They're down by the river, the Jordan River. And the guy freaks. He goes, oh, my Lord. It was borrowed. That wasn't my axe head. Okay? This is, you know, and things like this were of great value in those days. It wasn't like they had, you know, uh, ace hardware. So I don't worry about it. We'll get you another axe. You know, this you know, is people's property. I'll let you borrow my axe head. Everybody wants to be responsible. I'll bring it back when I'm done. Well, he's going like this. All of a sudden, the thing goes flying off. And, oh, man, that was a borrowed axe head. He feels really bad. Well, then Elisha the prophet says, where did it fall? So he points in the water where it fell. And then Elijah cuts a stick. 
and he throws it where it went in the water. And then all of a sudden, the iron axe head, okay, and if it was any good at all, it was probably pretty heavy so that it could cut effectively. The iron axe head floats to the top of the water. <laughs> that's pretty cool, right? I mean, that's, that's a pretty heavy miracle. Uh, and then he's, Elijah says, well, lift it out. And the man reached out his hand and he took it. And that's all it says about the miracle. Now, I suppose all kinds of analogies here is, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know what the uh, dramatic need that was met. It wasn't naming the prophet. It wasn't that uh, Shunammite son restored from the dead. Uh, it wasn't the... Uh, the death in the pot that he had healed. It wasn't. This is pretty small beans in terms of motivation behind the miracle, which maybe that's the point. You know, sometimes people think, you know, God can't really care about me because my problem really isn't as big as the other guy's problem. My problem isn't all that concern. God's concerned about everybody else. God's concerned about Pastor Mark because he's such a mess. You know, that's a full-time job, just dealing with him. And, and, you know, God really doesn't care about my little inconvenience, okay? The ax head. It was borrowed. It'll be embarrassing. It's not, it's not like the guy was going to be getting the death penalty for losing the guy's ax head. The guy probably just never, whoever borrowed it from him probably will never lend him anything again. He, I felt bad, but it wasn't like a major deal. But even for something that was that small and insignificant, because again, there, there's nothing that shows here that there was any great reasoning or motive behind this at all other than it was a borrowed axe head that God shows up and does a miracle as really amazing as anyone we've read yet. I mean, it's totally against the laws of nature. I don't know if you've ever thrown in a uh, uh, heavy piece of metal into water, but they generally do not float. <laughs> reminds, uh, reminds me of uh, a few years ago we had a, a boat and uh, we'd gotten a new anchor for it, you know, one of these big metal anchors that you know were designed to dig into the sand and stuff and we had a friend of ours and uh, we just got in the boat and we weren't very good at dealing with a boat quite frankly so we're still not very good at dealing with a boat you see us coming with the boat run save your children because i'm likely to crash into something terrible boat pilot thankfully i can fly airplanes a lot better than dry boats for some reason i have a boating deficiency problem in my life anyway we got this new anchor and the guy who was on board uh, was an experienced boater. So that's, you know, this is great. We'll have a guy come with us who kind of show us how to do the stupid boat thing because we seem to be crashing into everything and having a hard time dealing with the boat. And he says, well, you got the anchor in the front. You need this anchor in the back. So we get to where we are. And he says, now, let me show you how you set this anchor. And uh, he uh, took the anchor and he took, you know, some of the rope next to it. And he swung it a couple of times and went, woo, and splash. And the rope goes, you know, buzzing through his hand. And all of a sudden, the end of the rope <laughs> goes flying out of his hand. And the look on his face was like pure 
he was horrified that this had happened because in his quest to enlighten us on the brilliance of his boating skills, never bothered to make sure the end of the rope <laughs> was tied to the boat. So he was more about, this is how you do it, and you take it, and you got to swing, and the other you want to get it and then pull on it so it sinks itself. So he whips it off while the whole thing goes flying out, and zoom out of his hand, there goes. I needed Elisha at that point, because I can tell you it never floated. But interesting, a small deal. But even for a small deal, even even for little things in your life. Trust God, even for the little things. So, you know, sometimes God will do little miracles, and it even seem weird. This story almost seems kind of weird. Sometimes God will show up when you least expect it in the littlest of ways, and it's just kind of weird. I don't know. I think it's just kind of a way of God just giving you a hug, saying, hey, you matter. I love you. I care for you. Let me end with this story some years ago. Uh, I had a business in Marshfield, Wisconsin, and I was working on one Saturday, and we had rented a bunch of equipment for some video shoot that we had done, and I was getting ready to ship it all back, and I'm trying to drop the units back into the cases. And those of you who know what I'm talking about, they're rack-mounted, you know, so they're like metal, you know, rectangular-type things. And as I'm dropping it uh, and getting it, and then I I let go, and the weight pulled it down because it was kind of heavy, the edge of the uh, rack mount cut into my arm. Ah! And I look at it, here's this big gash in my arm. Ow! And I remember grabbing it and going, oh, Lord, heal this thing. Oh, you know, scratch. I hate scratches. They're just painful. They don't kill you, but they hurt. You know what I'm saying? Well, the strangest thing, I'll never forget, when I did that, I said, Lord, heal it. All of a sudden, I just felt this rush of, that I'll never forget to this day. I thought, well, that was kind of weird. And I didn't think anything else about it. So I'm going back to work, and I'm sitting there, and I'm working on stuff, and all of a sudden I can feel this warm, tingling sensation in my arm. And it kept, and finally I looked down, and I said, what, what is the deal? And look, some of you won't believe this, and this is why your life sucks, because you don't believe in anything. That's why you don't experience miracles. But I'm telling you, I'm not making this up. I'm sure I could make up something more d- dramatic than I had an owie one day at work. But I'm telling you, as I looked down, that thing was healing right before my eyes. And it was about halfway up, closing up with this warm sensation. And I am telling you, I've never seen anything like this. I've never seen it up to that point. I've never seen it since. But I'm watching this thing, and I am like, my mind is like going, I mean, wow, how, how do you respond? And, and, and my mind is like, this makes no sense. It's just an owie. It's no big, I don't need a miracle for this. I, don't, I need a miracle for a bunch of other garbage in my life. This, I don't need a miracle. I haven't seen a miracle there. Why am I seeing a miracle here? My mind is going crazy. I'm thinking, this is incredible, and I, I want to go show somebody because I'm all by myself. And, and, and you're overwhelmed by that. I'm watching this, and I'm, the kind of thing that you wish you could see every day as you pray for people. And I finally went, I, I, I don't believe it. That's what came out of my mouth. As soon as I said the words, I don't believe it. It stopped. And I went, I believe it, I believe it. You know, but it, it didn't matter. And I, if nothing, maybe the Lord was just trying to teach me, quit saying that phrase. To this day, I almost never say the phrase, I don't believe it. 
because I learned that day. It's just a phrase that God has taught me not to say, and he did it on that day. Now, why that little tiny, why did God show up and do something blatantly miraculous? And for years now, you can't hardly see any of it anymore. You could see the scar. If you look real hard, I could show it to you, but you can see it's the half scar that did not heal. The other half of it, it was like twice as long. This one, you see no mark, and then you see the half scar that did not heal. I called it my idiot scar for many years for, for saying I did not believe it. But, you know, why would God show up and do something like that, dramatic like that, just to show me a little lesson or to bless me or whatever else like that? Who knows? All I know is the one lesson we can learn from the floating axe head is that there's a God who, number one, can do anything and will very likely do just about anything, even for the smallest of reasons. So take heart. Be encouraged. We'll see you all again next Wednesday.